Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. It's Tuesday at two in the East Coast of the United States of America. It's the Nonprofit Exchange. This is interview number 331 over the last eight years. We've interviewed a lot of people who've got wisdom to share, experience to share, and new thoughts to help us as leaders to take our organizations to the vision that we see and accomplish the mission that we've articulated. And in today's world, we need as much reframing our thinking and upgrading our skills as possible. So my guest today is Mark Slobach. Mark, tell us a little bit about who you are and why you're doing this important work that you do. Well, Hugh, uh, who I am or who I want to be, uh, I want to be a baseball coach to 10-year-olds. I would love to just coach 10-year-old boys, travel baseball, and like that's just all I do. That's so much fun. But other than that, uh, I am I married four kids uh, who are uh, going across the country to different universities and uh, I was a pastor for 17 years uh, in a local church, ordained, and then uh, for the last 10 years, I've been helping churches and nonprofits create impact faster than they ever thought possible. And that's that's where the that's where the real fun is that I can earn an income for. But it's not as it's not quite as fun as coaching 10 year olds baseball. Well, you can aspire to to do that someday. So, what are the trends going on today? And um, Let's talk about the trends generally, but then what are some leadership trends that you think we should address? Now, we're, we're our audience is nonprofit leaders and faith leaders of all all types, and then board members who support these nonprofits that might be the business leaders in the community. Mm-hmm. For for churches and nonprofits, I think there um, there is a reality post pandemic of I have to do work differently than I did before, or like I came into this work with a certain expectation or certain kind of paradigm of how I thought this was going to be. And the pandemic has changed a lot of that. And depending on your specific uh, space, what you're allowed to do, it has, it has forced you to work differently. And I see a lot of pressure coming in as a result of that. And so I think the first trend I would point to is the reality that we're dealing with now, uh, that, that things are different, how I deliver is different. Uh, how I create impact may be different. Uh, how I lead my team may be different. How I talk to donors may be different. All of those things are, there's a different reality as a part of that. The second trend that I see that I think is uh, is hitting at least the leaders that I talk to consistently, it's hitting square between the eyes, is the reality or the the what the marketplace is doing to jobs. And what I mean by that is, um, for example, there's a lot of churches that I've worked with over the last year trying to hire a youth pastor. They cannot find people willing to be youth pastors. And uh, and most of the feedback that I'm receiving is that these young people who would come in as, as a youth minister into a church uh, who would have a fire for kind of leaning in and discipling young people, uh, they, are, they are receiving job offers 50 to 100% greater than what the church is able to bring for a youth minister. And that reality of income disparity and opportunity 
is a real challenge for nonprofits and churches to have to deal with. And so for me, I think those are the top two realities and, and trends. Yes, and, and after the pandemic, we have to be leaner and more efficient and more effective with the use of the available resources. But let's go back to this money thing. We hear the money, the word nonprofit, and it puts us into this scarcity thinking when God's really given us abundance, and we pretty much block that sometimes by our own limited thinking. So we think we can't pay decent salaries, which really impacts the performance of our teams. So do you find that myth is damaging? You gave one example. Is it damaging in multiple ways inside of all these organizations? Because if we're talking about churches and synagogues, they're in fact running a nonprofit business as well. Yeah. If you are leading an organization that is responsible for uh, salaries, uh, utilities, uh, creating value and delivering value, you are running a business. Uh, it may not be the selling of furniture, but you are bringing value. You are running a business. You need to understand that money is kind of the feedback of that value and it's also the uh, fuel that keeps that engine going and so we need to really deal with that that reality in, in that point i think the the nonprofit leader has to have a healthy balance between understanding how money leads to greater mission greater purpose more opportunity but also understanding that they're probably not going to make the highest dollar that they can make. But in many ways, you're not in that position. You're not leading that organization on that mission because you want to make the most money. You are at that place to make the greatest impact. And so how do we do that in a healthy way? And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of maybe external or internal, um, what I want to say, filters or, or, or inputs that are leading us to think about money in either a negative or a positive way. And so what I find is that nonprofit leaders, church leaders, some of that challenge of how to talk about money, how to raise money, uh, some of that comes over the history of what their experience has been. And if it's been somewhat negative, if people have kind of poked them a little bit about all you do is ask for money, uh, then that leads to a negative input on kind of how they view the whole process of, of dealing with money in the conversation. I worked in a very large church and, um, and the, the capital campaign was in the fall and they would give updates. The, the uh, executive pastor would get updates and then the senior pastor would get questions from people that, that would say, why do you keep talking about money? And he would say, I wish you would answer that. So, you know, you know, it's going to come this time of year, there's going to be a campaign and we need to commit to it. It's, you know, an act of faith to, to pledge to, to an organization like that. Um, but it's, it's a two-edged sword. We don't want to ignore it. It is not the primary reason that we have an organization, but it does impact our work and our ability to uh, achieve our mission. And so there's there's a there's a relationship with money. Um, well, there's a relationship in performance and money. How does the leadership, good and bad, tie into the money? And then you mentioned attracting youth pastors or staff in general. Re retention of those staff people is another issue because some organizations aren't good at retaining key key employees, and that's that's really hurtful. 
Yeah. Wow, you gave me you gave me so much that I want to talk about in the, in those two two sentences there. Um, let, let's deal with the retention thing here for a second because I think um, even in dealing with hiring or or expanding your team, you want to make sure you're dealing well with the team that you already have. Coming out of the pandemic, it feels like there's this confusion, there's this fog, whatever anxiety or pressure you had as a nonprofit leader. It's like it just, you know, the balloon got squeezed in even shorter and smaller and now the pressure is even more because of that and so the confusion the fog the hesitancy uh all of those things from a leader trickle down to the rest of the team if your team feels like there's confusion we don't know where we're going we don't know what's next they are going to they are going to look for opportunities where it is clear where there is focus where there is direction where there is kind of this idea of this is the rally cry this is what we're going for and if it pays more money it's going to be an easy jump for them. So as a nonprofit leader, I would say one of the first things is be really clear about where you're going, over communicate, repeat yourself, have that clarity, have that focus, eliminate the things that are confusing and stay in that place of focus because that'll be motivating to your team. The second part of retention that I, uh, that I love talking about and, and, and try to do some writing on is this idea of trust and building trust. Uh, and in order to build trust, it is that consistency of communication. It is that authenticity, but it's also listening uh, and listening to what your team is talking about. If they're saying things are confusing, ask better questions. Be more curious about what it is that's confusing to them, and that will speak into how you can create even greater clarity. So for me, retention is about uh, building trust and increasing motivation. If you can do those things with your team, you will retain your team. But those, those things got to be figured out. Uh, building trust, increased motivation. Building trust, that's so important in all the aspects of what we do. Um, it's the integrity of leadership. So let's talk about the, the retaining employees, uh, staff is more important than money. Run that out a little bit longer, would you? I think uh, I think retaining your current staff is is uh, proposed to you. If they're not if they're not the right player for your team, then you need to remove them from your team and fill that seat. But if they are on your team, they're a good player. You need to retain them, keep them engaged, keep building that trust. Uh, I don't know that it's it's more important than money. Um, but the idea of how we increase our mission, that's only going to happen by by having the right people in the right seats, a, a high-performing team, and the resources for that team to execute. And so that's why the money is an important conversation. But you can go too far, right? We all know uh, church and nonprofit leaders who have taken the money conversation too far, who have been all about the money. And we don't want to do that. I know that, right? You and I can share lots of examples of when we were growing up, young bucks, and we saw folks who were leading in a national way and had national influence, but they, they didn't do well with the money conversation. No, no. And psychologists call it a money shadow, and it affects you pretty, pretty severely. And when it really shouldn't, it's just one of those, um, we are in, whether we're in a religious or, or community charity organization, um, 
we are stewards of other people's money. That's right. So one of the things that I would encourage uh, folks in that position is if you think about where we're at in, 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 in our culture right now, uh, I believe that an on mission, whether it's church, nonprofit, uh, an on mission organization that brings hope and light to its community is, has never been more relevant in my lifetime than it is today. We are divisive, we are opinionated, uh, we are ready to be angry about anything, right? I mean, you can, you can, what, I don't want to get into to too, too far of a side trail here, but, but we need hope, we need light, we need positive things to chase. And I believe in my lifetime, Hugh, we have never been at a time where that hope, that light, it has been more needed than it is today, in my opinion. You're so on. It's not a side trail. It's it's a it's a fact of our current existence. We don't want to let the anxiety in in the market or the anxiety in politics or the anxiety in other places come into our organizations. Actually, as leaders in these four purpose organizations, five hundred one c threes that are faith based or not, we can set a different bar of performance. And I think it's time for us to be in the lead in creating this 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 holistic healthy environment where people can actually do good and there's plenty of need yeah. for it so i think i don't think it's a, it's a, it's an aside at all i think it's an essential mindset for us as leaders don't you so uh and, and that's where i i try to put a little bit of energy behind <laughs> like the resources that make your that make this thing go is because we are doing something that matters I mean, I've literally told a, a few church and nonprofit leaders, like, listen, if this thing doesn't matter, then we need to we need to close up shop this afternoon, pack up our desks and get out of here. Because if it does matter, then that changes the conversation. It changes how we approach uh, folks to to resource this mission. It matters. And so uh, we need to get that out there. We need we need to bring people on and invite them into the process so that they can be a part of making that impact. It's like the old statement. Um, now, we don't take political or, or religious positions here, but this is about if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Mm. And we can pivot this into what you just said. If you have a passion for this and leading it, does it show? Mm -hmm. So w one of the things that, uh, that I'm passionate about, Hugh, is that I only work with churches and nonprofits. Uh, I'm a certified business guide, but I don't, I don't go in the marketplace for that. I, I got that certification so that I could help these. I, I'm going to steal your for purpose instead of for profit. I'm going to steal your for purpose organizations. I only work with those organizations because, um, number one, that's, that's where my professional career has been. That's where I've, uh, I've occupied space and, and ha have that expertise. But number two, because of that relevancy, I, I believe it is more relevant than it ever has been before. And I want to help, I want to help eliminate that anxiety, that pressure, that, that feeling in their gut that nonprofit leaders wake up with every morning and say, how am I going to make this thing happen today? This is this is a lot more pressure than I ever thought I was going to have to deal with. I just wanted to I just wanted to help people. I just I just wanted to help people, Hugh. That's all I wanted to do, and uh, I come beside them and and help eliminate that pressure so that they can help people. My first book, um, 
2005, I guess, shortly after I left 40 years of music, church music ministry, I determined that 10% of my job in this 12,000 member church was music. 10% of my job as music director was music. 90% was all the systems, the infrastructure that allowed that to happen. And so that's the Baloo 1090 rule. So part of what I've heard you say, and part of what this is about is building the infrastructure and the core competencies so that you can then effectively raise money. You can then perform. I, by the way, I somebody else gave me the four purpose. You can you can meet your purpose and actually impact people's lives because really it's all about the impact of our work and equipping ourselves. So part of the work, uh, or maybe most of the work you do in consulting is equipping people to actually perform at a higher level. Am I right? Yeah, Hugh, I, I think um, I think existing nonprofit and church teams can create the greatest amount of impact, not by adding more people, although they may need to hire more of their team down the road, but I think there are simple steps that they can take that will create exponentially more impact with the current team that they already have. But I just think there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that are bringing in confusion and I break through the confusion and I, I help them say no to things. I help them stay focused. I bring accountability and we get laser focus on it. Hugh, I was with a, I was with a team where our leader, our leader exited and, uh, Four days later was September 11th, 2001, and we had crisis. Something happened over the next several months that our, our little bubble crisis of our leader exiting, the national crisis of what was happening with September 11th and the towers and, and everything else happening there, that our team became so focused that I look back on it now and I was like, those were like the greatest those were the greatest months of team effectiveness of team camaraderie of success and you know however you want to measure success that i think i've ever had professionally and i think a large part of that was we were forced into focus mode we were forced into this place of that stuff doesn't matter that stuff doesn't matter that stuff doesn't matter this matters and we do this and here's where we need to go and and everybody just rallied in and we had that forced focus mm -hmm. And when you bring that focus, the energy just funnels right into that focus as opposed to energy going out into 17 different directions. It just focused our energy. It was just amazing. And I keep thinking about that. And you can't always recreate those uh, kind of natural or supernatural uh, uh, forced opportunities in your life. But it, it really is about that. It's about getting rid of the noise, all of the energy coming behind that focus, and you can create impact faster than you ever thought possible. That's so profound, and it's so spot on. Um, and you talked about, well, many people just want to help others. So there's a gap between people that have a vision and their ability to implement, to really go from strategy, if they have one, and integrate it into performance. So there's a saying in the music world, if if you're not getting what you want from the orchestra or the choir, look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. So as leaders, that profound moment you talked about, it's our duty and delight to set up the priorities 
and to engage people in the important, the work we do is important. I heard you say that more than once. It is important. And in some cases, it's critical, like with the sex trafficking and the hunger, you know, people are dying. Uh, Hugh, one of the things that I would say is um, that leaders have uh, all sorts of external pressures coming at them. One of the things that I've found is that there's probably more internal pressure from a leader than there is external pressure. And just helping to kind of decode that, giving permission for some of that to be released and allowing the team to help come behind the leader, it, it, uh, it creates fantastic change. One of the things that, as we talk about like noise, uh, um, I'm, I'm working with a team in, in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, I'm challenging them to keep track of, they're, they're, a, they're a large team. I think there's about 85 people. So I'm working with the executive team. And one of the things I'm challenging them on is over the next couple of weeks, I want you to just make a note. Uh, when, whenever somebody comes to you and says, hey, do you have a minute? And I want you to just, after that conversation is over, I just want you to make a couple of notes. What was that, what was that topic? Uh, how long did the conversation take? Because it never takes a minute, right? And part of that is I believe that that conversation happens because there's not a place, there's not either a place for that conversation or that person is confused about what's most important and they're trying to figure out if this other thing is important. So when you have that focus, your meetings are structured around that focus and your meetings only cover the things that are to be covered. You only cover those things that you're trying to accomplish and everything else falls off the agenda because you have that focus. And so when everybody knows what the focus is, oh, well, we don't need to have, I don't even know what kind of frivolous example to bring up, but we, we don't need to have that because it's not, it's not even in these rocks. So we don't need to worry about that. And so I think people create those conversations because either there's not a place for the conversation or they're, they're not sure if it's important or not. Well, and we have to discern whether they just want to get attention for themselves or not. And <laughs> the third reason there, right? Good. Thank you, Hugh. There's a lot of dynamics, but you're so spot on. Um, let me give you an acronym that I also got from one of my guests. It's focus free of clutter and unnecessary stuff. Focus. So if you go through a strategy, which you do, you know what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And then you can say, okay these things aren't in there. So we're not, not supposed to be doing that. That's a discipline is, is really important. So I want to, you mentioned um, training and you have on your website, which I'm going to show for the people watching. If you're on the podcast, it'll be on the, uh, the web, web link will be on the podcast platform, but uh, Pinnacle uh, certified Pinnacle business guide member. Talk about that a second and then talk about what people will find when they go to your website. So Pinnacle is a community of business guides, um, mostly in the U.S., but we have some across the globe uh, that have come together to come together to create a um, an operating system, if you will, that is dynamic. In other words, it we have the opportunity as guides to adjust this as our clients need them. It is not rigid. It is not it is not static and and scheduled and only a, you only go this route. Each pinnacle, if you will, for the metaphor, each pinnacle for each different organization could be different. The things that uh, a church is doing is uh, it's a different pinnacle than 
than the, the organization that's fighting sex trafficking. It's a different pinnacle. And so we adapt. You may be at a different life stage there. So we bring that dynamic system to who you are, where you're going, and what you're doing. And uh, as a part of that, uh, again, I only work with, uh, with churches and nonprofits because I believe so much in, in the mission they're trying to accomplish. And so I love this community. I love being a part of Pinnacle. It has brought so much equipping to me, and I turn around and bring that value to my clients every week. It's just great. So his website is S-L-A-B-A-U-G-H, coaching, S-L-A-B-A-U-G-H, coaching.com. It'll be, um, if you go to the nonprofit exchange, T-H-E, nonprofitexchange.org, it'll take you to the um, to the archive page and you can find this episode and it's Mark Slobar and it's stunning website, your, your video imaging there. And you can schedule a call with Mark and sort some things out. And you already can tell by this interview, he's a man of great wisdom and experience and um, has some really useful things to share with people. So we're kind of in a strange, well, the stock market's taking a bath. It's a down market. It's a down economy. We have trouble hiring people. So people might say we're in a downward spiral. So what I learned in business is when there's a recession, like in 2008, people, companies cut back on their marketing. Well, a really astute leader actually does more marketing because everybody else is cutting back. So there's different opportunities in a down market. So talk about how we as leaders in this this um, for purpose kind of work. Yeah. How do we how do we step out and do something that, to take advantage of the situation? Yeah, I'd like to have a secondary episode on uh, how the news and the media uh, force us to believing some things that may or may not be true. But we'll we'll just leave that for another thing. Uh, if it is indeed a downturn economy, um, then there's a couple things that I would um, that I would ask you as a nonprofit leader to to do. And that is, uh, however far you're leaning in to vision and communicating uh, and clarifying and focus, however far you're leaning in, double it, double it. Repeat yourself all the time. Talk to everybody you can about the vision of what your organization is doing. Because again, if it's a downturn economy, what's happening? People are, they're getting nervous. They are thinking that everything is going to be bad. And what are you bringing? You're bringing purpose. You're bringing hope. You're bringing light to the conversation. So I would say the first thing is lean into double those conversations about vision and hope because you have something to offer, something that can't be duplicated anywhere else in their lives. The second thing I would say is you're not going to do this alone. And so this, this goes back to the beginning of our conversation about your team. You're not going to do this alone. So you need to make sure that you're taking care of your team. Sit down and listen to your team. Just sit down and listen. How are you doing? I talked to so-and-so. They seem a little nervous. Are you nervous? How's it going with your family? What's happening to you? Because if, if you listen to your team, they'll tell you. They'll tell you, but you need to listen. And there's a lot of leaders who just want to, they just want to, they just want to tell you how it is. Just, just ask a question and listen. That is a standalone. Ask the question and listen. Yeah. God gave you two ears and two eyes 
and one mouth. Now, you can listen with your eyes as well as your ears because people send probably over half the communication is visual. <clears throat> That's why Zoom is so important. Um, you know, some kids in school aren't so happy with Zoom because there's no more snow days. You still get, you go to school. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this has been real helpful. We're nearing the end of our time, but you have um, articulated some really clear principles for how we as leaders can function. So how do, how do the principles that you've talked about help you in your business and ultimately help those that you coach? Um, a little over 10 years ago, I was going through a, pro, a professional transition, uh, trying to figure out how I wanted to work. Uh, all the jobs that other people told me I should do, uh, you know, Mark, you should, you should apply to that job or you should, you should do this job over here. Um, they weren't inspiring to me. They, they did not, they didn't do anything for my heart. They, I, there was no imagination behind them for me. And, uh, through the realization that, you know what, that job's actually, that job is actually perfect for somebody else. And so if it's perfect for somebody else, then I shouldn't take it. But what's perfect for me? What is the perfect job for me? And then going through that discovery of like, what is the, what is the job for me? What, what do I want to do? What do I want work to give back to my life? And once I went through that process of discovery and asked myself some hard questions, I came up a list with five things. And I know right now, any opportunity that I consider, if it's not matched up with the, with those five things, if it doesn't if it doesn't check all five boxes, I don't do it. And so that clarity and that focus for me has kind of motivated me to help churches on an organizational scale to say, here's here's what we do. Here's the things that light us up. Here's the things that we can do well and bring value to our community. And if it's not those things, we need to stop doing it. Because no church can do everything. You just can't. You can only do so much. Those are wise words indeed. So what's um, you've given us several things that people can do during this interview. So as, as a final point, what's the most important thing for leaders in these? Hmm, they're, they're very different times. We might call them stressful. We might call them difficult, but we might call them times that were really needed the most. So what's what's something people need to do as a result of your inspiration today? I would say the most important thing you can do is to talk with your team. If you are uh, in, in terms of like nonprofits, uh, faith leaders, I know sometimes you're like the only person on the team in terms of like being paid. So I would say, okay, well, talk to your volunteer leadership team. Is that your board or whoever that is? talk to them. If you have a paid team, talk to them. And what I want you to do is I want you to, I want you to talk about 20% and I want you to listen 80% and just ask curious questions because the number one thing that you can do is make sure that there's clarity in your organization. That's, that would be the ultimate thing to do is just, just ask a couple of curious questions and listen, and you'll find out if you have clarity. Very, very good advice, Mark. Thank you so much for being our guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. My honor. Thank you so much, you. Thank you for watching the Nonprofit Exchange. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.